Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about building infrastructure at scale while keeping in mind the people, processes, and platforms involved, and how this translates to an improvement in the customer experience. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Deepak Giridhara Gopal, CTO at Puppet by Perforce. Deepak, welcome to the show. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Uh, why don't we get started by you giving a little background on yourself as well as your role at Puppet? Wow, where do you even begin? Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm like a software nerd. I've been like you know building stuff probably since I was in elementary school. So yeah, you know I think I've been in that industry pretty much since I left college. And basically, you know, after graduation, I kind of just uh, have been going. I've always been a startup kind of person. I think. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, but I think I kind of fell in love with uh, that kind of, I, I want to say controlled chaos, but I think that's being very, <laughs> very charitable to the environments that some of these companies operate in. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, but I really like that mix of, um, it's it's kind of dangerous. I don't know. The, it's the software job equivalent of like riding a motorcycle or something like that. It's like, it's a little dangerous, but that's also kind of why it's interesting and fun. Yeah. So, you know, throughout my kind of startup career, I've worked at companies where, uh, especially earlier on where a lot of the revenue kind of grew proportional to like how much gear we had, yeah. you know, how many servers, how much stuff, how much storage, how many clients you could serve. So that kind of started my interest in this kind of practice of like systems engineering. I guess that was pre the the coining of the term DevOps, but, yeah. but really just the practice of applying like computer science and kind of software know-how to solving more operational or infrastructure kind of problems. And I, I always found that really fascinating and then you know over my career after doing a couple doing that role at a couple of startups you know leading um you know director of engineering for operations team systems engineering teams i ended up at puppet i uh, was involved with the open source community you know puppet's a big open source configuration management tool which was right up the alley that i was just talking to everyone about right here yeah. you know because it's a tool that helps kind of bring some sanity to fleets of systems and things like that so and then, yeah, you know, my previous startup was acquired. And then when my time was done there, I, uh, I just decided to join Puppet because I believed in it so much. And, uh, you know, started there uh, helping, you know, I wrote a lot of code for a lot of Puppet. So if anyone yeah. in the audience uses Puppet, I guess, thank you. And also I, I apologize because chances are <laughs> some of those bugs are probably my direct responsibility. But yeah, you know, and I kind of, um, you know, just took on bigger and bigger roles there, ending up as a CTO for the whole company. And now, you know, we were recently acquired by Perforce. So, you know, now I'm CTO for Perforce, kind of overseeing all of uh, infrastructure automation and that part of the portfolio. So, yeah, it's the, the whirlwind, whirlwind tour. Nice, nice. That's great. So we're going to talk about 
some of the challenges and and opportunities that that scaling brings. We're going to look at it from a few different perspectives, but let's let's start from the internal one. And so, what are some of the? And you've certainly talking about startups and and all that. You've certainly seen this probably in a in a variety of 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 ways. So you know, what are some of the scaling and performance issues that you and the the puppet team work to solve? Yeah, I mean, I think the the in broad strokes, really, what we're trying to help people with is sort of more sanely and efficiently deal with like large fleets of like long lived server infrastructure. So that means making sure they look the way that they need to look, making sure you can deliver stuff onto them the way that you need to, making sure it's like secure and locked down. It, it meets all of your kind of regulatory standards or internal policies about how this stuff is supposed to look. You can almost think about it like it's, it's kind of a uh, I would say we're in the business of giving people like automation dial tone almost. And of course, I realize as soon as I say that, that's like a really dated metaphor probably for many people listening to <laughs> What's this. What's a dial tone? Yeah. What is a dial tone? But I guess uh, just that super foundational, like a heartbeat, you know, effectively, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. it's such a foundational thing that you need to have. And essentially every IT department has to deal with it. I mean, there's people have more stuff now than they did before. They have more varieties of applications and things like that than they ever had before. It's kind of a victim. We're, we're victims of our own success. Like yeah. hardware lasts longer, software lasts longer, but growth continues, you know, kind of unabated. Therefore, if you do the math, any company, once you get to a certain size, or even if you're really small, it'll it's inevitable. You're just going to have a growing mix of all different kinds of things. And that can quickly spiral out of control, right? I mean, you can go yeah. from being having a very well-organized, very nicely manicured kind of IT posture for how you think about your infrastructure. And it doesn't take very long for you to turn around like a month or two or a year later. And it's it's the infrastructure equivalent of like laundry chair, you know, in your, in your bedroom where <laughs> right, it's like, right. <laughs> this started off, I really wanted a nice modern chair. And now it's just, it's, it's an amalgamation of uh, disconnected junk that's really hard to think about coherently, right? And, and it weighs on you. Yeah. So at a high level, that's yeah. what we're really coming in to solve. So customers are coming to us, you know, and they're asking for us to help them with like, uh, our systems are really brittle, or many cases, we don't even know what we have. Can you help us understand what's even out there? Uh, situational awareness. Um, yeah. We know what we have, but we're super slow to make changes to any of it. We're afraid to touch things. So if I were to summarize it, I would say... My goal with with Puppet is to make make it so that for a given person, you know, an infrastructure person, what would it take for your infrastructure to not be a source of stress yeah. and instead kind of flip it into being a source of strength, right? Because that's, yeah. what, that's what the companies we want to emulate in a lot of ways, that's what they do. You know, they take pride in how much stuff they have. They're not worried about it, but most people right. are worried about it, rightfully so, right? So I, I feel it emotionally. Yeah. So how, um, I, th there's probably a, a breadth of different things we could discuss from, uh, you know, different, different types of issues that you could solve, but maybe, maybe using an example, how do organizations know when they have these kinds of issues? Like what, what kind of pain points specifically, you know, might they be having? Oh yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, there's, I mean, there's no shortage of them, but I would say right, everything, right. you know, I'll give maybe a, a, a brief sampling of the smorgasbord that is the insanity of dealing with infrastructure in 2023. But I think at its simplest case, it could be everything from like, uh, there's a security breach that was just announced in some software. How much of our infrastructure is affected? Mm, Pretty basic. Yeah. 
Yeah. There are, I am constantly shocked and surprised how many, you know, kind of executive teams or IT teams that I work with where that comes up and I ask the question and usually it's just like a lot of, well, I don't know, how would we find that out? And then it's like, okay, through some unholy combination of like spreadsheets and digital duct tape, you can kind of get it what you think might be the answer, but that's pretty scary, right? Like that's, yeah. that's just one example of something you should probably have a really quick and sharp answer to. Other examples would be, we're trying to deploy something new to these yeah. systems, or we need to do some kind of maintenance on these systems. And you get an answer of like, well, you know, I'm worried because I kind of don't want to touch that. Or no one has messed with this in a while, right? Leave it yeah. alone. Otherwise, it's so fragile. Things like, we thought this worked. You know, this was working fine, like a couple of months ago. I don't know why all of a sudden the system seems to be exhibiting totally different behavior. Yeah. It, it, those are all kind of emblematic of a foundational thing, which is um, basically people don't know what they have and what they have is not being maintained to uh, a standard that they have defined, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's essentially these are symptomatic of, I think, organizations where it's like they've gotten to where they, they're, they're as successful as they've been, you know, in many cases due to heroic efforts from people, you know, yeah. from operators, which on the I have mixed feelings about because on the one hand, you know, Big shout out to operators because uh, the entire internet would crumble if it wasn't for them. But on the other hand, yeah. it's kind of a shame if we rely on them, you know, staying up till four in the morning or whatever to fix these things. That's not sustainable. Or yeah. it's because they haven't made changes to their infrastructure. They're, you know, to borrow from the podcast name, the infrastructure itself is not agile, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many of the same characteristics that you would probably, I'm sure you've talked about with other guests around what are the what are the telltale signs of like a brittle glacially moving uh, software project at a high enough level of scale and i actually don't think that it has to be that high i would say at a sufficient level of scale managing infrastructure really looks like looks pretty close to managing a large software project mm. especially with the cloud where infrastructure is programmable so i think a lot of the same telltale signs apply to this question as well yeah and and so i would imagine you mentioned you know, quite a few different scenarios, and I'm sure there's countless more. I, I would imagine you run into an issue where there's, it's not a matter of there's one or two things that get solved. There's a whole, you know, there's, there's cascading dependencies and, and so yeah. on and so forth. What's the, what's the thought? Obviously, every situation is a little bit different, but you know, what, what's some of the thinking that goes into how do you prioritize, prioritize where to start? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because every single like kind of customer or open source user, you know, that has this question, it's super common, right? And I yeah. think, you know, I, I think I always give kind of a pithy but also truthful answer that I, I'm convinced satisfies absolutely no one, but it's the truth, so whatever. <laughs> and I think it's like, look, can we all agree that your kind of IT environment is, shall we say, target rich for improvement? <laughs> If that's the nice. case, I don't know that it really matters. Like, I think, you know, yeah. people get really hung up on, you know, am I starting too small? Is this too incremental? But but I kind of take the opposite approach. I've seen more just in general in terms of IT. And I, honestly, if I extend this to software development projects as well, I think it's exactly the same. Because again, I think they're yeah. more similar nowadays than they are different. I think most of these initiatives die from like because of indigestion as opposed to like starvation, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you, you try to solve a huge problem up front that you're not necessarily prepared to deal with organizationally. Yeah. Like it's one thing to basically say, wow, our, you know, our infrastructure is a mess. 
what do we do? Yeah. Okay, you know what? We're going to completely lock down every single system. We're going to normalize every single configuration detail down to the smallest possible one. Uh, we'll deploy everything fresh to validate that all of this works. That's, you know, or we'll port all of this to, you know, it's going to be containerized and it's going to run on the most fashionable container orchestration platform mm -hmm. we could possibly find. Right. And a lot of those initiatives just die out because they don't have the requisite. It, it could be time. It's overly complex. They don't have the skills to actually, you know, succeed at doing this. So I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of like, start small and construct the place, you know, construct the first things you want to work on in a way where you're setting yourself up for success. For example, it could be something as simple as like, what was the kind of root cause of the last meter outage you had, like in a data center or in your cloud infrastructure? And someone might say, okay, well, I don't know, for some reason that we don't understand, like name servers were configured incorrectly. So systems weren't talking to the right thing or clocks were not synchronized. You know, that seems so simple, yeah. but that's like a huge deal. And suddenly SSL won't work between systems if you're off, right? By a certain amount of time. That's, you know, I would classify those problems as not rocket science level problems, right? So right. whether right. you use Puppet or any other tool of your choice, right? Like that's not a bad place to start. And I think sometimes the pushback I get is, yeah, but really, is that the thing that we're going to put, you know, on yeah. a PowerPoint that we sell up the ladder, like we got clocks working? And I'm like, no, 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 you don't put that you got clocks working. You put that you've officially solved more or less forever the problem that caused that last outage. So you never have to worry about it again. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing you can just check it off your, your, your IT management bucket list, you know, like, wouldn't it be nice if you never had to worry about that? I think it would yeah. be. So just build that list up and you can start small, right? So... So I usually encourage people to think of one thing that's very proximate where everyone understands the severity of getting it wrong, usually because they felt some pain about it immediately or recently. Yeah. Go after that. You could do worse. And even if that's the 80th percentile of best possible choices, like, eh, good enough. You know, you'll get better at it the more often you do it. So you got to start somewhere. No, no problem with starting small. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. And um, so, in a, in addition, there's there's probably some things that, like like even the clock example that you know you set it and forget it comes to mind for from some um, TV <laughs> infomercial yeah, that I saw years ago. Infomercial deep cut. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. But you know, there there are many other things that are that require continuous improvement, right? So you know, where where does how do you balance the need to, you know, solve things for, you know, for the short term with understanding that, okay, well, the, you've kind of touched on it already, but you know, the lots of things, maybe they're solved in a small way, but there's iterative improvement and, and all of that. So how should organizations be thinking about that continuous improvement aspect as well? Yeah. I mean, the software metaphor I would use is you would probably not just test the software you're building once. Right. And then just put a stamp on it and you're like, we're good. Mission accomplished. And then you <laughs> ship it. And then as it changes, you're like, it was tested on this day. Like it's a continuous process, right? And basically you're accepting that maintaining the quality of the software that you're producing is just an ongoing responsibility and obligation that you have, right? So yeah. I think when it comes to infrastructure, it's a very similar thing, right? Like the security of your infrastructure is an ongoing obligation, the kind of robustness of your infrastructure, the uh, the ability for your team to quickly make changes to it is a thing that needs to be continuously worked on and refined. So I definitely think, you know, I, I'm not certainly I'm never going to argue against the value in fixing what's tactically broken, 
right? But right. it's right. a classic uh, failure mode, right? Where you're spending all of your time on break fix and do um, you never come up for air and you can never really take a step back to figure out like what are the more structural things? Like you, you, if you worry about symptoms all day long, you may never cure the actual root problem, right? So yeah. I think that ultimately, you know, and we've seen different organizational structures that, that companies have adopted, you know, whether that's, you know, you have your team of operators that's enmeshed with the development team, whether that's a completely separated out platform team that manages infrastructure and provides it as kind of a service to others. At the end of the day, those are just the responsibilities of someone that's managing this stuff. So I think the things that I would think about um, in terms of continuous improvement would be things like, like if I were to come up with things you could measure, it would be, you know, what's like the mean time to change? Uh, like if, uh, you know, how long does it take yeah. before you're like, I need to make this change to my infrastructure and how long does it take until it's actually done? Like you yeah. can literally, it's done, done, like for real done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Is that a quarter? Well, do the math. That means you can make four changes a year. And uh, yeah. I don't think that's particularly great. And chances are, if you're at a company that thinks that's fine, you will probably get outperformed by a company that can move faster than you, right? But yeah. I I think if people listening to this actually honestly ask themselves that question, they may be surprised how few changes, how, how few many, how few times at bat you get, right? So how do you improve that number? What is the, you know, and there's basic things like what is the uptime, you know, like how long does it take to, uh, what, what's kind of the breakage rate? Like you make these changes, like how often do you see these things, you know, ultimately break after it's, you know, post-deployment, those kinds of things. So, yeah. so that's kind of yeah. why, you know, I think this is an important point, but I think there's kind of a couple of splits in the way, at least with tooling and with mentality, people approach infrastructure. I think on the one hand, there's the tactical break fix. Like I just need to get better at writing a script or I need a tool that's basically a better scripting language. And then I, I'm alive with power. You know, I could go in and do whatever surgery I need to. If I'm a sufficiently skilled operator, I can be awesome. Yeah. And I think there's another school of thought, which is the one I, they're both complimentary, but I, I think the one that at least initially Puppet really focuses on, and we still do. And now you see other tools in the market, like, you know, Kubernetes and other um, orchestrator platforms take this approach as well, which is like, look, what you really need for your infrastructure is more of an immune system. Like you need tools and mm, you need systems yeah. that are smart, that are constantly monitoring these systems in the background, truing them up and making them look the way that you want it to look. Because that is, that's where you get sort of, not to get too jargony, I guess, but it's like anti-entropy, right? Or anti-fragile. Yeah. yeah. And the good news is with infrastructure, these are like robots you're talking about. They're, they're servers, right? Like they are programmable. You can apply automated systems to make this work. So I think with IT, we're, we're, it's a unique environment where continuous improvement is both, you know, there's human factors to it, but you can also genuinely take advantage of tooling. And, and that marriage of those two, I think, lets people get to a place where, they don't have to worry about is this does this system is this system locked down and secure yeah. because you have tools that are just taking care of that for you before we continue i'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show basecamp throughout my career whether it was at my own agency or now as a consultant basecamp is what we rely on to help keep projects on track on schedule and on budget it takes a straightforward approach to project management it streamlines workflow management and definitely keeps the team in the loop and on top of ongoing updates, which all are major components in a smooth running operation. No matter if it's a simple campaign or a multi-million dollar project, 
Basecamp has been a key ingredient in the recipe for a successful project and business. If you're struggling with projects, sign up for Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you all their features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com Agile, that's Basecamp.com A-G-I-L-E, and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel anytime. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk a little bit about this from the the customer perspective. And, you know, customer in this case could be could be internal customer, you know, it could be employees at an organization that are reliant on infrastructure. It could be end customers, consumers that are reliant on on these systems and, and infrastructure as well. Yep. What's the customer experience when infrastructure isn't scaling properly? And, you know, just if you can talk a little bit about that and, and just how organizations should be thinking about that from the from the customer perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, there's no shortage of anti-patterns, but the good news is the answer to this one, I think, is pretty simple. Like if you're providing a service, it's like the customer is going to experience it. Is, is the service down? Is it slow? Is it buggy? Like yeah. parts of this doesn't work yeah. the way that it's supposed to. And then I'd say one, you know, kind of derivative from that would be, you said you were going to roll out these new things, but why is it taking so long, you know, or why is this remained in limited availability? Why can't you get it out to everybody? Or you've rolled this out to one country. What's the holdup on rolling it out globally, you know, and going super big with it? Or why do I have these limits imposed to me? I say those are derivative because I guess you could say if customers are giving you that feedback, those are good problems. Right. Because, well, they're interested in your stuff enough that they're complaining that why isn't it happening fast? But they're still problems, they're using right? it. Yeah. At least they're using it. That's better than, you know, like I said, I've been a startup person, so I know both sides of that coin. Right, right. But, you know, I think it's it's as simple as like, why can't I do two-factor auth against Twitter? And it's like, oh, because uh, that the whole thing is completely busted on the inside. Okay, well, it, it was very obvious. I think it's a really interesting topical or timely example, right, where yeah. they made a lot of changes, sort of personnel changes internally, and those changes were immediately visible what the impact of some of those were on, like, service level, on performance, and on things like that, right? So, yeah, yeah so, and, and these are, this is feedback coming from consumers where it's like, they're not infrastructure people. Like, I'm sure some of them are, but it's like, a lot of folks yeah. are like, I doubt that, you know, I don't know, like, like, Beyonce is uh, is complaining about Twitter slowness, you know, because of a, right. a deep seated set of opinions on the underlying, you know, kind of DevOps practices that are going there. Although, if she does have opinions about that, I would absolutely love to hear them, and I bet they would be awesome. <laughs> I'll try to have her on the show to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly. Like, if you could pull some strings, I would love to be uh, on that panel. Uh, I have a lot of nice. things on my mind I want to talk to her about, but but I, I think organizationally, I think the. The biggest anti-pattern I see is this like, um, it's like a Conway's Law kind of thing. The software was built in this way with these abstractions. You know, there's this part, there's this part, and there's this part. You know, there's there's A, B, and C, these components. So we have team A, team B, and team C. So consumer, your customer is reporting a problem. Which team do we route this problem to, right? And, right. and that, that kind of thing just makes it, you know, it's easy to fall into this trap of finger pointing, right? But yeah. but I yeah. think it's based on this flawed understanding of how a lot of customers view these services, right? Like a like if I go to a, a sandwich shop and I get a sandwich, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know, the tomato doesn't look particularly great on it. I'm not immediately going to demand to speak to like the tomato team, right? Or right. if the person making <laughs> right. my sandwich is like, whoa, whoa, I'm just on cheese team. 
this is a tomato team problem. You're going to have to take it up with them. I don't really care, right? Uh, exactly. To me, the sandwich is kind of a... So I think people think it's like that, but in reality, it's more like a like a cocktail where, sure, there are different ingredients, but if someone serves me an old-fashioned and I'm like, there's insufficient bitters in this thing, like, you know, at that point, it's all mixed together, right? The end product is this amalgamation of these different services. So, so I think it's this tension that exists inside of organizations between this desire to have teams be independently, you know, again, agile, I suppose. They have defined scope. They can move these things forward. But ultimately to the customer, I don't know that that matters. And infrastructure is the great equalizer because a lot of times these different component teams, their stuff comes together, it gets assembled, and it rolls out onto the infra. That's like the great shared substrate that everything runs on. So as a result, that kind of is the great unifier, right, in a lot of ways. That's why you hear stories, so many war rooms, something happened, something crashed. Let's get one person from all the teams together to talk, you know, the United Nations of why our software is busted. (laughs) And that's, that's cool. But I I think it's a double-edged sword. So on the, so I guess to answer this, this is a super long-winded way of answering the question, which is, I think it's very obvious to customers in pretty basic ways when the infrastructure is not performing well or not living up to par. And I think organizations often are torn between uh, prioritizing their teams for independent like accountability and, and execution speed, but they see when that starts to break down, when stuff actually breaks, and you need to debug yeah. how these things go. So I would encourage organizations to optimize less for raw throughput of like a feature team, and instead think about like what's the structure that would allow us to most easily troubleshoot a problem that a customer would support. Yeah. And those structures might actually be different. You know, you might draw boundaries differently in non-technological ways, right? Which I think is an underexplored area in IT. Yeah. So last um, area I wanted to explore with you is just more from the business perspective. And, you know, I think we've touched on some of this in, in some of the other things we've talked about. But there's obviously investments that need to be made as an organization is scaling. You've been a part of of that in in much in much of your experience as well but how does a business or how should a business be thinking about return on investment and just where to invest as they need to scale like what what are what are measurements and you know KPIs and, and all of those things that they should be keeping in mind as they're scaling yeah i touched on some of these earlier but i mean i'll start yeah. with what i you know i wouldn't go with like i want the cheapest infrastructure you know we need to literally yeah. reduce spend in these ways i think that's a component but i don't know yeah. that that's actually the point right because again i think about what does the customer care about and i don't think any customer is really like wow i really wish this company's infrastructure i really wish comcast could really reduce their budget on their infrastructure right that's not what right, i care about right. <laughs> what i care about is can they make it so i don't have an outage every month you know for my broadband yeah. so that would lead to a kpi that's more customer centric you know which in and i would encourage people that are managing infrastructure or, or managing infrastructure teams to think about like who is the consumer of what you were doing. You know, is it development teams? Okay, great. They're your customer. What are the things that yeah. they need? Right. And maybe some of it is cost related. Well, probably, but I, a lot of that may just be, you know, how long does it take them to request a change in infrastructure? And what's the, the delta until that's actually completed? Can that be fast enough to keep pace with whatever they're doing or are they bottlenecked? You know, how long does it take to, you know, what what is your ability to accommodate? new architectural patterns or things like that of the software that your infrastructure is expected to support. 
You know, when was the last time you had a security breach? How long did it take you to recover? You know, so some of these are standard like RTO, RPO, um, you know, recovery time, objective, recovery point, objective. So there's a lot of literature about these, but, you know, I think that um, there's no shortage of metrics, but I think people could do a lot worse than, uh, I've definitely been in rooms where people have kind of flashed up, this is the scorecard for this team, you know, my infrastructure team. And there's like 400 things on here. (laughs) Uh, And at that point, it's like, you know, psychologically, there's, I'm sure there's a thesis waiting to be written on the psychological detriment of just like seeing a screen where it's always partially read. Because yeah. in reality, if you start measuring it at that level, something is always going to be read, especially as these architectures get more distributed. It's not like everything's down or everything's up. It's everything is a shade of gray, right? Mm, so yeah. I, I instead really encourage people to think about who is the customer of what your team is doing, whether that's internal, external, both. Um, your own operators, yeah. they're themselves very important consumers of what you were doing. And then what are the metrics that you can actually put around what they do? So I gave some examples, but some of those are generic, but I would definitely encourage anyone listening to try to think really deeply about, you know, if there was just one or two things and you forced yourself to limit yourself to those and you had to nail them, you know, good, better, best, what would those be? And, and what would those metrics be that really move the needle? And I would be surprised if it's things like teraflops per watt, you know, right, right. Some teams, yeah. maybe they care about that, but most of the people listening, probably it's, it's something higher level, something more business related or customer related or consumer related. Yeah, no, I, t- I, th- I think that's, that's great. Well, uh, Deepak, thanks so much for joining. I've got one last question f- uh, for you before we wrap up. You've given a lot of great advice already, but what's one piece of advice, uh, maybe even something you already mentioned, but you know, what's one piece of advice you would have for organizations that need to scale their infrastructure as they navigate the months ahead? Oof, it's hard. (laughs) There's so many things (laughs) and I talk a lot. I I would say, I'll try to reduce this down, but the the punchline's at the very end. I think one way, if you're managing an infra team, I think one way to, it's ultimately about the people, right? Like as much as this business that I'm in is about, you know, servers and hardware and silicon and stuff like that. Fundamentally, like I fundamentally believe the only reason why I do this is because I actually I care about helping the people that, that carry the virtual pager, so to speak, right? The people who are actually hands-on keyboards. Like, my mission is to make their lives better. And if you run an infrastructure team, that should be part of your mission, too. And I think some people who manage these teams, they look at their staff, and I'm in these conversations and I find it troubling. They look at their staff and they kind of visualize them as almost like like Roombas, you know, where um, right. <laughs> if if only these people, if I could replace these people with robots, right, it would be so much cheaper. It would be so much more efficient. They could just be doing all these things for me, right? And yeah. it's not wrong, but I think it's misguided, right? It just leads you down a line of thought that I think ends up being kind of dystopian and in many ways dehumanizing, you know, of the people that are required to maintain these systems. And I've always given people the advice that instead of thinking about these folks as Roombas, you should instead think about it more like like an Iron Man suit that you want to give people. Because, you know, people ask me a lot about automation. Aren't you are you are you an automation company because you want to eliminate people's jobs? And I'm like, no, because I don't think people are Roombas. A Roomba is a robot, but it's a robot based on this idea that the humanity in the task is not only irrelevant, it's a downside. You want to eliminate the humanity from it. An Iron Man suit is the exact opposite, but it is still a robot. It's a robot, yeah. but it's a robot where the humanity inside of it is the entire point. 
So the line of thinking there is not that robots are bad. It's that we want to build stuff. We want to build tools. Think about the tooling, the processes, the automation in service of helping make your people more powerful. Because yeah. that's the thing, right? Like if you think everything is a Roomba level problem, you're going to be very ill-equipped to deal with a problem that's not Roomba level. And there's no tool in the world that's going to tell you, you know what? We should probably completely refactor how our like network architecture works yeah. to make it more robust and reduce cost. That's a human problem. Give them more power, give them more time and space, free up their brain to worry about those problems by helping give them the space to like automate away or work on or eliminate those kind of more mundane things that are just weighing them down. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so in summary, not Roomba's more Iron Man suits. <laughs> well, it's, it's augmenting humans at what humans are actually great at doing rather than replacing humans. Uh, Cause yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's compliment, there's complementary skills on both sides uh, with for both sure. the robots for sure. and the, and the humans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I agree, but you know, I only, I only mention it and I harp on it because it's just something that just, it keeps coming up, you know, and, and, yeah. Yeah. And it could just be that's just the lens a lot of people in media view infrastructure through, which is like, it's a cost center. How do we reduce cost, reduce headcount, reduce staff? Yeah. And that just always, it just kind of bums me out, right? Because I'm like, I don't think you people realize how much human brain power it takes to keep all these, to keep all these systems running. Like, uh, yeah. and the answer is it is a lot, like a lot. So, uh, so yeah, just yeah. Uh, never forget, there's always people behind the keyboard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, that's, that's great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Deepak Giri Daragopal, a CTO at Puppet by Perforce for joining the show. You can learn more about Deepak and Perforce by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website, or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.